So we're going to actually get right into the passage this morning. So as you are signing, I'm still going to invite you to stand for the reading of the word and all that good stuff. Um, Our passage this morning comes from the book of John, John chapter 17, verses, um, chapter 17, verses 6 to 23 typo on the screen immediately. Um, So yeah, so as you navigate there and however you navigate there, um, I'm going to read for you. So it says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I, even as you have loved me. This is the word of God. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So as Pastor David said this morning, um, we are wrapping up our series, looking at our identity and our values. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about community. Now, in the past, um, I've preached on this topic, and I have joked um, that I am the worst person uh, to do this because as an introvert with a lot going on all the time, um, no one is going to say, you know that Michelle, she knows how to do community. That's just, that's not going to be said of me, and I'm I'm okay with it. (laughs) But in preparing for this uh, message, um, I realized that that's not actually the case. Now, before those of you who know me well start thinking, no, it is the case, 
look, I know who I am. <laughs> I, I, know, I know where I am weak. The Lord is working on me. But yes, it is true. I don't do it well. <laughs> but today what I want to propose is that, um, that this way of talking or thinking about community actually misses the point of what it is. Thinking about community as something that we um, can be good at or bad at, as something that we need to find or um, something that we need to build, um, it says more about our poor understanding of what community is and who we actually are than it does anything about what actual Christian community is. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Already One. One O-N-E, although one W-O-N works as well. (laughs) But if you only remember one thing from this message, let it be that in Christ, community describes what we are. It is not something that we can step into or step out of any more than we can step into or out of the love of God. It is what we are. It is who we are. We are already one. So often when people um, preach about community, and I've definitely been guilty of this, um, we focus on, um, on how to do it, right? How to do it the Christian way. And I have definitely ended a sermon or two on community and encouraged everybody to reach out to somebody this week who the Lord might put on your mind. You can still do that. That's always good. Always good. Um, But that's not the aim of today. That's not the point of this sermon this morning. My objective today is not to tell you how to do community better. (laughs) My objective this morning is to change the way you think about the word. To help you realize that it is first and foremost, not something we do, but something we are. So I have a story to illustrate this, um, and I got my my oldest child's permission to share this story. Uh, So when Hadassah was very young, uh, we were in our current house, so I'm thinking she may have been five, maybe six at the very oldest. Um, Our neighbor passed away, sadly, and um, a friend of his, a white woman, uh, came in to just kind of help get his affairs together and get everything settled. And this lady was so nice. So every time we'd go outside, um, she'd talk to Hadassah. And she's one of those people that's just really, really good with kids. So the, the Hadassah just took to her, right? And so one day we're coming home and um, the lady's going up the stairs and she said something. She made some kind of joke of which the punchline was, you know, something to do with her being white. So she says, you know, and I'm a white lady and, you know. <laughs> and so Hadassah stops and she's like, you're white? Now, this was a very white woman. There was nothing about this woman <laughs> that was anything but white. So Hadassah is like, you're white? <laughs> and I'm standing here like, what is happening right now? And so the lady is like, yes. I'm like, uh, yes, Hadassah, you're, she's white. Hadassah then says, mind you, I said five or six. This church is how old? <laughs> Okay, it's a law, it's old. And the first new community looks very diverse in this way as well. Hadassah says, I've never met a white person before. <laughs> Just, like, so now I'm like, okay, we let's go in the house. We gotta we have a long conversation. So I'm talking to her and I'm like, Hadassah, what are you what are you talking about? Like you know lots of white people. No, I never I'm said that. So I start naming people. I'm like, Hadassah, Grandma Connie is white. 
Grandma Connie is white? Yes, Hadassah. Miss Ethel is white. So I'm going, I'm naming these people who are white. So I get, I say, Hadassah, Pastor David and Miss Maggie are white. Pastor David and Miss Maggie are white? I'm like, what did you, I'm like, you don't notice, you didn't notice like that Ellie and Winston look very different than their parents. She's like, well, we look different from each other too. So she said, I'm sitting here like, oh my, where did I go wrong? Like, now, mind you, this child has been formed in this church. Well, I am under no illusions that my children at any point in time in their lives have clung to the words that are spoken from this pulpit on a Sunday. What I do know is they had had many conversations. We talked to them a lot about race and about racism. They have heard Pastor David talk about whiteness. Like these are concepts and words that they had heard many times. Hadassah at that time would have been able to talk to you about what racism was. And she would have been able to talk about some of the historical things that had happened in this country around race and some of the things that were presently happening. But what I realized after I picked my bottom jaw up from the ground and stopped questioning my parenting skills, what I realized was that the idea of whiteness was just that. It was just this thing. It was this sort of abstract idea. But it didn't really mean anything to her. So after we explain, I think, more thoroughly what, what whiteness are, and I start to help her identify who the white people in her life were, uh, I recognize that nothing changed for her, right? Nothing changed in terms of who the white people she was connected to are. They were still those people. She still loved them and cared for them. Nothing was going to change in terms of how she thought about them specifically. But what did change is how she now had to interact with this abstract idea of white people, so I think, while you're sitting there saying, now how does that story connect? I think that this is kind of how we in the church experience community. It's something that we've heard people talk about a lot. It's in the Bible. We've read about, like, we, we think we know what we are doing. <laughs> we think we get it. But it's really this abstract idea that's kind of out there. And so just like for Hadassah, the thing that had to change was not, um, you know, the people or even how she behaved in the spaces that she inhabited with those people. What changed, though, was her mindset about who people who look like that are. And here's why this really matters for us. I am raising two black children in a world and in a time that, you know, a world that has always been hostile and a time that feels particularly hostile to them. It was very important for my child, for my children, to understand who white people were. <laughs> the difference between the white people who she was absolutely in community with, who were family, who have known her her whole entire life, who helped form the person that she is, and whiteness, this concept that we talk about that is evil and problematic, it was important for her to know that in her bones and in her core because that was the only way that the seeds of hate could not take root in her heart. That as she lives and moves through this world that is violent, 
that as she lives and moves through this world that will do violence to her, will seek to do violence to her, the only way she would not have a heart that is even um, receptive to seeds of hate when it comes to white people is if she understood in her bones what these ideas, these abstract concepts were out there. The only way you and I are going to survive in this world, the only way that we are going to move through this place that will do violence, will seek to do violence to us, is if we understand in our bones that we are first and foremost community. We are already one. I am absolutely convinced that more than any time in at least my lived memory, It is imperative that we understand who we are in relation to each other. We need a deep understanding of what it means to be community already. Because that is the only way that you and I will have hearts where the seeds of hate and the walls of division cannot be constructed. So, in our text today, Jesus is praying for his disciples. This is coming in John's gospel around the same time that, um, that the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would have come, come right? So J- John doesn't really uh, talk about that. And we don't have to understand these as contradictory things, but what, what it tells me is that as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, the things that were most heavy on his heart was what he was about to do And the people he was about to leave behind. And so in this story, we see him crying out to the Lord in this long prayer, in this beautiful prayer, crying out to the Lord for those um, who he had been walking with those last three years and for those who would come for us. And so there's a couple of things that I want us to see about the text The first is that this prayer is specifically for believers. Jesus is real clear. I am not praying for the world. (laughs) Jesus is praying for the church. He starts by praying for his disciples, for those 11 who were left. And then he turns to pray for everyone who will come after those 11. Everyone for generations and generations. He turns to pray for you and me. This is a prayer for us. The second thing that's really important to catch is that Jesus would have prayed this prayer out loud and in front of his disciples on purpose. This was an out loud prayer. So now we have lots of different ways that we pray, right? What happens on Sunday morning when um, whoever is going to do the pastoral prayer comes up um, and they say the prayer, we say the prayer that we pray. There are a couple things that are happening in that moment, right? We are absolutely leading a prayer as we are all crying out to God. We are talking to our Abba. We are talking to our Father. And we are saying out loud things that we all need to hear. We, when I pray, I am speaking over anybody who can hear me pray. (laughs) The things that I feel the Spirit is laying on my heart that we all need to hear in that moment. I'm talking to the Lord. And I'm speaking over and speaking to all of you. That's what we do when we pray. When we, when we gather for any kind of corporate prayer, when folks start praying out loud, that's the point. Because we could all just stand in silence. <laughs> and it would be, you know, just as effective. You know, we'd still be talking to the Lord. God would hear it. would be great. 
There is something intentional about praying out loud. Jesus is intentional here. He prays this prayer out loud because he wants his disciples to hear. This is his, one of his last moments to really speak clearly who he is, who he is in relationship to the father and who they are in relationship to him and to the father and to each other. The disciples are being invited to catch a glimpse a final glimpse perhaps before Jesus does what he needs to do and then he comes back and they have a little bit more understanding, right? This is their opportunity to catch a glimpse of who he is and how much he loves them and how important what he is praying is for them. These are words that they clearly held on to. That's why they are captured here for us. These are words that we needed, that they needed. So here was my key revelation. I'm going to share it up front and then we'll break it down. My key revelation, and it was good news to me, is I'm not bad at community. (laughs) And in fact, that sentence, that statement should be unintelligible. So just a moment from now, we heard Sonia share about how in the key program and in these circles, they build community. And it makes absolute sense in that, in that context because she's going into a public school and we don't know what those people's faiths are. Probably a lot of them know Jesus, but in that context and in spaces at your job and all kinds of, there are places you might go in the world where you have to build community. This is not one of those places. We are already one. I am not bad at community, and that sentence does not make sense. So if you felt like you were bad at community, you are delivered today. You are also not bad at community. (laughs) It ain't something you can be good or bad at. But here's the thing. If you are someone who sometimes just wishes you could put a blanket over your head and not have to deal with any of the Lord's people, here's the bad news for you. You know, it's not something... (laughs) That you get to choose to do or be. It is what you are. In the same way that I don't get to choose when I wake up each morning that today is just not going to be a black woman day. You know, I'm feeling like I'd like to be, I'm going to try a white man today. That's not one of my options. It's just not one of the options available to me. So you don't get to not be community. It is as much of who you are. As, as it is that you are a child of God, fiercely loved. I think that one of the reasons we struggle with this is because we often confuse Christian community with friendship. And if Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for the church that would come, if it had stopped at verse 19, that might be fair. Verse 19 is where he wraps up the prayer for the disciples. If it had just ended there, if there had been a period and then Jesus moved on to talk about some other things, maybe, just maybe, you could walk away and you could say, well, maybe what Jesus was doing was praying for that specific group of people, that they would continue to be united, that they would continue to have relationship with each other, that they would be good friends because it was going to get tough because he was about to die, right? You might be able to conclude that. But the prayer doesn't stop at verse 19. Jesus keeps on praying. He prays for all of us. People who couldn't, he could not possibly have imagined would all be friends. (laughs) We are the church, but we are not all called to be friends. 
If you confuse community for friendship, and I do hope that we will be friends, so don't don't say Pastor Michelle said she don't even want to be my friend. I did not. I did not. I did not. (laughs) But the aim of the prayer is not that we would all be friends. You are not going to be friends with everybody in this place. The aim of the prayer is not even, and this might be controversial, that we would all be family. We are family, connected by the blood of Christ. But that's not even the aim of this prayer. The aim of this prayer is that you and I would be one the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Not something you can walk away from. Not something you can just decide one day to not be. Jesus was who Jesus was. Jesus was not going to not be the son one day because he woke up and said, I don't think I like the cross idea. He was who he was. You are who you are. We are one. Jesus prays thousands of years ago for us that we would be one. I hope you will find friendship here. I pray you will find friendship here. I hope you will realize that you are a part of a family here. And that for those of you for whom the word family is painful, you'll find healing here as you find relationships with other men and women of God who the Lord has united you to. But know that that is not the point first and foremost. You are one. We are a body. And just as I can no more wake up tomorrow and decide that I don't really like my left hand, I'm cool with the right, but my left hand, I don't think, I, look, (laughs) we are who we are. So now let me say to be clear, this does not mean that being who we are does not mean that we don't have to invest in one another. It doesn't mean that being who we are doesn't mean that there's some ways that we are called to serve and to love and to live with one another. Yes, absolutely. And I would say that if there was a part of you that was struggling with that, if there was a part of you that was saying, well, if we're just one and it's not about doing it well or not doing it well, and if, you, if you're telling me that I can't do community badly, well, isn't, doesn't that mean that we, because we could hurt each other. I think that's the same kind of question as the people who say, well, like, what about salvation? So are you saying that I could live any kind of way I wanted to live? And what if on my deathbed, after I murdered a whole bunch of people, I say, Jesus, forgive me, I love you. You're saying that I'm forgiven and I'm saved. I'm saying that's the wrong question. (laughs) That the point of this is not to try to figure out how to do, do, you you saying I don't have to do anything? That's the wrong question. Just like that cheap grace that Bonhoeffer talks about. I think that's cheap community. I'm not good with phrases. (laughs) It's the wrong question. Coming to an understanding of what this thing is, is hard. And I think that's why we get focused on how to do it. It's something I can hold and grasp. If you tell me to call three neighbors, say five prayers, bring a meal, I can do that. I can touch that. I can can measure my success. If you tell me I just got to be, well, how do I know if I'm being right? Yes, you and I are accountable to each other. Jesus' prayer for his disciples, and we're going to talk about this, one of the prayers that he prays is that they would be protected. I think that in community we find safety and protection. We are accountable to each other. 
but that is not the main point. The point is that if you are hurting, I am hurting. I may drop the ball. I may not call all the time when I'm supposed to call. I may not check in when I should check in. If you need something, you need to know that I am here. You can ask. If I need something, I know that you are here and I can ask. When I come here on a Sunday morning, I know I don't have to pretend like I'm anything. I can just be who I am because I'm with my people. Just like I don't have to pretend when I'm by myself because myself is who I am. I don't have to pretend when I'm with you because you are one with me. We are a community. You are my people. We are united by the blood and the love of Christ Jesus. Yes, there are ways that we need to be with one another. There are ways that we will be accountable to one another. And we can explore those ways. And we do explore those ways. But what I want you to understand today when you leave this place is that those are separate questions. Who you are, what you are, is community. So why does this matter? There are two important reasons why this matters. The first is, um, I think, a pretty obvious one. And it's very much emphasized in the text. In verses 21 and 23, Jesus makes it very clear that the purpose of our oneness is to be a witness to the world. That Jesus was who Jesus said he was. And so we say that. And I don't know that we take that as seriously as we ought to take that. How many people know that the, the Trinity does not, it, it does not make sense, <laughs> right? Like the Trinity is, is a tough one. I could tell you when I was trying to, when, you know, I wasn't a Christian, one of, I had two, two things, two things that kept me from just jumping over the finish line. The first was hell. I struggled with hell for a long time. I'm, I'm, I still sometimes struggle with hell. So hell, you get, if you struggle with hell, it's okay. I, me too. But the, the, the second thing that I struggled with um, was the Trinity. Like, how, how am I, how are you telling me that y'all serve one God, but also you, you seem like you, it seems like you are clearly addressing three different people. Right, because there's a, you've now told me it. There's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit that feels, <laughs> to my counting, like three. <laughs> right, but you're telling me that it's one. And I remember, I love I, children are amazing to me. So you know, I clearly I got over that. Right, like I came to whatever kind of under the Holy Spirit gave me some revelation. And so I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. And you know, I'm walking around, I've been saved for a good long time, and I'm like, no, I got the Trinity. The Trinity makes all the kind of. It's like you know three in one person. I'm a mother and a daughter and a, right? Like, so I had my whole thing. So I'm talking to my children when they're coming up and I'm explaining the Trinity and I'm like, no, because just think about mommy in the house. I'm granny's daughter. I'm daddy's wife and I'm your mother. Three in one person. <laughs> and Prisco was like, yeah, <laughs> but you don't like just like talk about yourself. <laughs> like, like you don't just go around talking about uh, my mommy, wife and daughter. Like that's <laughs> like how is she? And how, isn't that just like the roles that you do? And I said, well, yes. 
<laughs> and then I'm sure I said other convoluted things and then I just prayed because sometimes you just don't have answers. The Trinity is tricky. It's a tricky concept. One of the ways that we witness to the world that Jesus was who Jesus said he was, that he was the second person of the Trinity, that there's this thing that is three, but one is that we are many, but one. <laughs> One of the ways that we can witness to this weird thing that is kind of hard to get your mind around is when people can just see sort of an object lesson of, okay, I still don't know if I can name it. I still don't know if I can quite grasp it, but I'm looking at this people who seem to be one. This people who are different, who this people who don't always agree on all kinds of things. And yet there's this unity. See, that's why it matters. We are witnessing to the world this mystery that is going to be a mystery. And it's okay that it's a mystery, but it's true. This mystery that in the Godhead, there is community. That's a thing that we get to live into and grow into for the rest of our lives. But it absolutely is who we are right now. That's why it matters. Our oneness is is a witness to the world. That Jesus Christ was who Jesus Christ said he was. And this is the second reason why it matters. Jesus prays for protection for his disciples. So I said at the beginning of my sermon that I am convinced that at this time in our nation, it is so important that we understand who we are because we don't want the seeds of hate and division to be able to take root in our heart. When Jesus prays for protection for his disciples, he's not praying for physical protection. The protection that he's praying for is spiritual protection. And we know this, right? Because he talks about when he says, you know, I have protected them while I'm here. And the what protection looks like is only one has been lost. The protection was that none was lost. The protection was from the evil one. And he prays and he asks the father specifically to continue to protect us from the evil one. I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus's prayer for unity is coupled with a prayer for protection. Understanding who we are, that we are already community. This is a way that our hearts are protected against the evil one. It's a way that we are protected from the schemes of our enemy who is working overtime in what feels like these last days to to divide the flock. To get us once again to believe the lie that who God has made us is not enough. That we need something else. That we need to do something else. That something must be added. To get us to silo ourselves into what masquerades as community, but is really just surrounding ourselves with people who think like us, who we like, or who we can at least tolerate. We are one. The implications of this are twofold. There are places in this world that God will call you to. There are churches that God will call you to. If you are here today, if this is your church home, if you have been discerning whether this should be your church home and you've been visiting for a long time, for a season, God has called you here. Everybody who confesses the Lord as Savior, you are one with them. God may call you somewhere else one day. And we've become the kind of people who like to pick our churches based on how we feel. 
And if we like the people who are there, if, if, the, if the message resonated with us, if the songs were on point, if it ended on time, like we, we have all of our criteria about how we like to pick a church. You go where the Lord sends you. And where the Lord sends you, the people he sends you to, you are one with them. The only way that you and I will find safety, (laughs) the only way that we will be protected from the enemy, from having hardness in our hearts, if God calls you somewhere you might not want to be, is if you embrace the fact that it's not just about some people who also say they love the Lord. And I say, I love the Lord, but I don't have to have no part with them. Absolutely not. You are one with them. You are one with them. When I walk outside, I can't pass for nothing but what I am. I'm very clearly and very obviously a black woman. Now, I have been mistaken from black from some other countries, but it's black everywhere. (laughs) And regardless of how I feel about that thing, whatever people think about black folk, when they see me, they attach that to me. I don't like that. I would like to move through the world believing that I'm my own person. I represent no one but myself. Well, okay. And also, I represent the people I'm a part of because that's the world we live in. Now, that's sinful, but it's true. You are one with the people who you might not like right now. (laughs) And it's sinful to believe anything other than that because it's true. We have already been made one. Zach, you can come up. So here is um, the good news, because that might not sound like good news. (laughs) I am a very critical person, (laughs) and there are people in this world right now that infuriate me, and I would much rather not be one with them. Um, But the good news... Is that we don't have to do it in our own strength. That we are not trying. We are not striving. We are not like trying to figure out. We don't have to program. We don't have to have team meetings. Like, I mean, you might do some of those things just for counseling. But you, the, the, the fact of the matter is that the work has already been done. I don't wake up in the morning and try to figure out today, how will I be a black woman today? How will I be a mother today? Yes, I'm always wanted to be a better parent to my children, but I'm a parent to my children, period. I don't wake up in the morning every day figuring out, how do I do wife today? Yes, I always want to be a better wife to my husband, but I'm a wife to my husband, period. That's who I am. Yes, we are going to have to work this thing out. We work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. But amen, we are saved. (laughs) We are saved. We are already one because Christ has already paid the price. He has already prayed the prayer. It is done. It is done. It is done. And we get to feel some kind of way about that. Hear me and hear me well. I am not suggesting to you that your problematic uncle and that problematic group on Facebook, that they know you no longer, you have to act as though it's not problematic. I am not trying to suggest to you that if there are people in this church who are problematic, right? Like the person who you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to hug them during the green. Like, I, right. I'm not suggesting to you that those things, we got to pretend like they're not there. We get to be who we are, all of who we are. What I am suggesting to you 
is that you hold all of that stuff. When it's good, when it's bad, when it's ugly, when you don't feel like it, when you don't want to, you hold it all knowing that under the blood of Jesus, it has already been done. Knowing that you have already been made one, knowing that it is in fact a good thing. Because because when we embrace that, the enemy can't touch our hearts. The enemy can't keep telling us that we're out here in these streets by ourselves. The enemy can't keep telling us that somehow we got to figure out how to separate and who, can, who we get to be with. Nah, we just get to be. We just get to be. We just get to be. And for me, that's good news. (laughs) And for me, that is good news. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, And actually, before I pray, I'm going to go ahead and invite um, the prayer team to just prepare your hearts and mind. You don't need to come up just yet, but prepare your hearts and your minds because you're going to come up. And if you're going to hear my prayer. And my prayer is going to be talking to our Lord and I'm speaking over all of us. And as you listen to the prayer that I am praying, if the Holy Spirit starts stirring up something in your hearts, I want you to start to even just get yourself ready to go up and maybe talk to somebody today. Maybe this is the Sunday that you want to come up and get some prayer. Because for some of us, this message is like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. For some of this, this message might be, uh, whatever. I would say you should get some prayer too, but that's neither here nor there. You let the spirit lead you. But for some of us, <laughs> this might be just hard. Because maybe community has been a really painful place for you. And so the idea that it is just what it is, that, that, that it is who you are, that it is what we are, the idea that you are connected to people, maybe to some people who have... Um, done harm to you. That that might be a hard, heavy thing to sit with. And so I, I want to encourage you not to leave here holding that. So pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I, I thank you that you, that you are truth. Thank you that because you are truth, that your word is truth, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you that because that is the defining characteristic of who you are, we don't have to pretend in you. We we get to walk in truth. God, truth is messy sometimes. And so I pray over all of us who are living in a space and in a time where your church feels so very divided, who are living in a place in your time where, where the divisions that we are facing feel beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension to be able to imagine what oneness would look like outside of limited spaces. I am praying that you would teach us, that you would show us how to just sit in that space of confusion. Because sit in that space of not knowing, even as you are revealing more and more and day by day more of who you are and who we are. I'm praying that you would teach us how to be us. (laughs) Teach us how to be who you have already made us. Teach us to know it, to see it, to recognize it. Teach us to live in it. I pray, God, that you would help us to experience it. 
I pray that we would delight in the journey of figuring out what it looks like to experience it. That we wouldn't be so quick to to run to how to do it right, how to be right, how to make it look right, but that we would just spend time in you. You have made us one. And while it might be easy for me to say that in this place with faces that I know and recognize and with people that I have come to love and appreciate and care for, the fact of the matter, oh God, is that you have made us one beyond these four walls. And so in the places where it is difficult, in the places where it is challenging, in the places where we would be tempted to give the enemy a foothold and allow the enemy to to whisper in our ears that we don't have to worry about those people or we don't have to worry about being over there or what's going on over there. Lord, I pray that you would fortify our hearts, that you would firm up our resolve, that you would allow our roots in you to grow deeper, that we would be anchored even more firmly in the truth of your word. And that we would believe that you give good gifts. This prayer is a gift from you. And you would not have called us into something that was not for our good. So thank you, oh God, for being good. For being faithful. For being kind. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up as we sing this.